Please welcome Matt Young to the stage. All kinds of wires, I love it. All right, so uh, like, like I said, I'm uh, Matt Young. I'm co-founder of uh, Comfort Research. I've been really lucky uh, that I uh, got involved with uh, some, uh, you know, some folks and have been uh, you know, handed uh, you know, some help. Um, I don't know if it's just unique to West Michigan or if this is a, you know, a, just a truism. People have just uh, you know, reached out uh, along my entrepreneurial uh, journey and lent a helping hand with no expectation of anything uh, you know, in return. And so as I was going through uh, you know, my career, like, I did not want to wait until I was retired to start uh, you know, giving back. How can I start giving back uh, now? So what I'm hoping to provide to you guys today is uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about uh, you know, my journey and how we kind of uh, you know, came across uh, you know, core values and um, how we used them poorly eventually getting to a spot that I think is, uh, you know, great. And uh, then also, just like anything in business, how can you put a system around core values? So a um, little bit uh, more of, uh, you know, our background. So comfort research, we're really uh, best known for our Big Joe brand of uh, products. Um, we sell mainly to uh, major retail, so Walmart and Target and Amazon, uh, all those type of folks. Um, also locally here with Meyer, and uh, we do specialty stores, Front Gate, Grandin Road, Urban Outfitters, etc. Just recently, we have officially become Earth's largest beanbag brand. Feel free to fact check that, <laughs> or, or don't. I mean, it's un, unfact checkable. We work in three basic technologies. So I uh, started this in uh, you know, college, and that is uh, the um, awesome foam. So that's shredded foam, doing giant beanbag type of stuff. Then we evolved, and we got into uh, traditional uh, beanbags. I love the way that uh, my co-founder, uh, business partner, says it, um, which couldn't be more true. We don't make beanbags. We just make stuff that happens to be filled with beans. And then uh, our latest and greatest technology is taking some of those uh, uh, semi-rigid foams and molding them into uh, shapes for other type of uh, consumer products. It's an example of uh, you know, one of our original chairs, so filled with the awesome uh, you know, foam. Originally, we called it the poof chair back in 1996. Uh, know, we do a lot of shape things, so like we build in structure inside these covers so that we can provide uh, uh, shape and support for these beanbag type of items, as well as fun stuff, right? So these are our, uh, some pool floats that, that we do. Uh, our pool pets, uh, that's an example of uh, this. And then here is uh, an example of that latest and greatest technology in action, Aura. And so inside that uh, frame, there is a uh, polystyrene core, basically the same stuff you would see in polystyrene cup, polystyrene uh, you know, coolers. You know, you think about that stuff, it's throwaway uh, you know, material. Oh man, it's not. I don't know if you guys noticed, there's a little construction project at 96 and 196. What you'll see there are these four foot by four foot by eight foot long blocks of what? Polystyrene. And what they do is they uh, you know, just put these uh, you know, together like a little Lego system to build up the off ramp, right? So they're going up 90 feet in the air. Why? Because it's really, really strong. It's really, really uh, you know, light. So what would take them nine months to uh, you know, build with earth and gravel and drainage and all that stuff, it only takes them just you know, three days to, uh, to do that. So uh, for the densities we work in, um, each square inch can hold about 15 pounds. So that chair can support about uh, 15,000 pounds on that seating surface, same size an adult male elephant, which is pretty cool. We, uh, yeah, we were gonna call it the elephant frame. That, yeah, I don't know, so there's some, not all the ideas are uh, good ones. Um, we are in a very, um, innovation-focused, engineering-focused uh, you know, company. We have over 100 patents. Uh, we are 
headquarters is downtown uh, Grand Rapids and Street and 131. We have manufacturing there, but we also have manufacturing down in Tennessee. That's our largest factory. Um, they do about 50% of our production, and then also outside of uh, Salt Lake City, Utah. It's all about uh, getting closer to the consumer. So um, with those three factories, we cover about 98% of the U.S. population with two-day ground uh, shipping. So big part of what we're trying to do is we want to be you know, part of that Amazon uh, you know, experience, 24-hour uh, you know, lead time uh, you know, shipping, and then getting it to your door quickly without having to upgrade those, uh, those freight expenses. Give you a little bit of history of, uh, so that's what we do, a little bit of the history of how we got there, and I'll start with uh, a little bit of my history. <laughs> so in the very early years, uh, that's uh, me rocking it in that red vinyl uh, beanbag up there, and that's also me uh, enjoying my first PBR, at least I assume it's my first PBR, <laughs> I don't know, I haven't, I've been using this picture, and I need to ask my parents, is that my first PBR? Not much has really changed for me. Um, you know, I still enjoy beanbags. I still enjoy a PBR. Um, went to Hope College, uh, which is where I started the company and uh, met my uh, uh, friend, business partner, co-founder, uh, Chip George. And so uh, that was 96 that we actually uh, started the business while attending uh, Hope. And, um, you know, college students, we didn't really have anything to lose, which is, uh, you know, which is great. That's why I love entrepreneurs that actually, like, they've had a career, then they go do it. It's like, dude, as a college student, it's like, I don't have anything, so I have nothing to lose, you know? You just go out and do it, man. And so that's what we did. And in that uh, barn there, was that, that was our first factory. It had a dirt floor, uh, like, the way that we paid this guy to use his barn in Goebbels, Michigan, was uh, we poured the concrete floor for him. And uh, that was our, our payment, and he let us use his uh, barn. The way we were selling in those early days was primarily through uh, this store that we would open up uh, in the Holland Outlet Mall. So we'd have it open for 30, 45 days, and we'd sell directly to uh, folks that were rolling through the mall. And then we also sold uh, to uh, uh, college students. So we'd go to other college campuses, Michigan, Michigan State, Grand Valley, Calvin, Grand, uh, Purdue, basically anybody that would let us on campus and sell to the students, we would. Our first uh, early break was, uh, was with Meyer too. So uh, 3,200 uh, chairs, uh, that beanbag that we made for them, um, it was a smaller version of uh, what we had created. $49.99, and uh, that ended up becoming the number one selling furniture product in uh, the Meyer's uh, furniture department. So still with them today, there was a break in there. Not that I'm angry about that, but yeah, we're, we're with them today. Um, we, so as we were growing, uh, we did a lot of different stuff. We tried a lot of different stuff. And one of the things that we tried were these uh, stores. So we opened up uh, three stores. We're doing about $5 million in business. And, um, you know, pretty much everything that we had tried up to that point, you know, was working. And so we're like, oh, let's create this, you know, cool, fun home environment, bright, uh, exciting. We'll feature our product, uh, you know, in there with the foof chairs. And so we did. We opened up three stores, um, one at the Granville Mall, one over in uh, Novi, and then also one in Kalamazoo. And uh, the stores immediately were losing money, right? Um, Comfort Research uh, had always really been self-funded. Uh, you know, we weren't making a, you know, a ton of money, but every dollar that we were making, we were plowing right back into the business, and things were working. Well, we were focused really on trying to get these stores up and running. And what happened was... As we're focused on doing those stores, the bank came to uh, uh, my business partner, George Julius. Um, they came to him and asked him to sign on the loan because um, 
you know, the core business had started to lose money. So not only had this, were the stores losing money, but now the core business was losing money, and they wanted to close on the loan. Luckily, uh, and that did not happen. I am here today. Comfort Research is still alive. We were able to convince them to uh, not close on the loan. Um, we shut down those stores. We refocused our energies on building uh, you know, what had gotten us uh, you know, there. And it really shaped our beliefs and how we go about investing and trying uh, new things. Um, Denise, I love your comment about uh, you know, failure. Um, big believer that it's those failures that teach you a lot. I mean, up to that point in time, like, we had just had success after success after success. What did that teach us? Nothing, man. So, big believer that, uh, you know, failures, uh, you know, is the part that's responsible for the real true, uh, you know, the true learnings. So, culture and strategy. Okay, during a culture talk, why am I talking about, uh, you know, strategy? Well, the two go hand in hand. I'm a big believer that you can't have a great culture without a great strategy and vice versa. So, as we were uh, growing, you know, we turned the business, uh, you know, back around. We've doubled the, uh, you know, the business. It's 2010, and my business partner's like, uh, you guys should really think about putting together a strategic plan. <laughs> and so, like, what is this strategic plan you speak of? And so we'd never done one before, so we went to um, um, and searched online, okay, how to learn how to put together a strategic plan. So what do you do if you want to go learn how to put together the perfect strategic plan? You go to this windowless hellhole of a building outside of O'Hare Airport, and you spend three days learning how to put together the perfect strategic plan. And that's what we did. All 120-some pages on it. We had our mission statement, our vision statement. Uh, we had our core values on there, pest analysis, customer analysis, industry analysis, SWOT analysis. I mean, it was, it was all in there, right? And so, you know, we're so proud of this, uh, you know, thing. And, you know, a year later, we pull it out and dust it off. And it's like, oh, why the hell did we spend any time doing this? I mean, the only purpose of a strategic plan is really to guide and align, uh, you know, everybody. So you're all moving in the same direction. And it did none of those things. I mean, we hadn't even read it since we produced it, right? And uh, I'm a big believer that not much changes until you're embarrassed or, you know, you're feeling some pain. Well, that was, that was painful, man. You put all this time, effort, learning how to put it together. Then you go out and you put it together and didn't work. And so I was really, uh, you know, complaining to one of um, uh, my advisory board members, Craig Hall. And I'm like, Craig, I just wish I could get it all on one page or do a summary or do something because that ain't working. We need to find a simpler way to uh, produce this thing. And so he's like, man, have you read this book, Mastering the Rockefeller Habits? I say, no, Craig. I have not, but it's in my library. And so I pull this thing uh, you know, out, and I read the book. And this author, Vern Harnish, in there, he has this really cool concept for his one-page strategic plan. And what the author did is he had flow in there, right? Big idea down to the, uh, the, the measurements. I'm like, all right, I, I, I like that. I like that uh, you know, concept. And so, you know, being a, uh, you know, a linear thinker, a process uh, you know, guy, it's like, all right, we'll do it. We did it on a spreadsheet, man, right? Just like any uh, you know, good uh, thing in business, it all's coming from uh, you know, being generated in spreadsheets, right? It's a little tongue-in-cheek, but okay. <laughs> so we had all the uh, you know, elements uh, you know, there, and uh, it was a great tool uh, you know, for us. And as we continue to develop the different parts of, uh, you know, of the plan, you know, we kept on seeing stuff that was either confusing to folks or 
it was contradicting uh, uh, something else in there, or they're asking, well, how are we using this? And so, you know what? We kept on finding stuff to pull out. I believe that most people think that they add value by adding stuff. I'm a big believer that you, know, you really add value by taking stuff away. How can you simplify? Simplify uh, you know, your strategic plan. Simplify your engineering. Simplify uh, you know, your operations. Like how, how do you, everything you make simple? If, you, if it's simple, it's easier to communicate. If you can communicate it, it's going to be simpler to, uh, to achieve and get everybody what? Guided and lined and going in the, in the same direction. So we've worked very hard over the years uh, to develop our uh, strategic plan and that uh, you know, format. Um, and so we've really got it boiled down to just uh, four things. We lead uh, you know, at the top of uh, our plan with our core values, with our culture. Then we go to our, uh, you know, our purpose. We got rid of the vision and mission statements. You know, God bless you if you're still using mission statements. I hate them. I abhor them. I actually had the idea. I'm like, I would really like to create a mission statement uh, you know, creator and just put all the buzzwords in there. And it's like you put in the name of the company. It's like, Global leader, dominant market, uh, innovation, you know, it's like all this crap. And that's what we did for our mission statement until we got introduced to this book by Simon Sinek, uh, Start With Why. Awesome, awesome book. If you haven't read it, don't bother. Re just see the 15-minute TED Talk. In his TED Talk and in the book, he talks about leading with your purpose. Why are you doing what you're doing? How are you doing it? And what exactly are you doing? Beautiful, simple, right? And so that's how we uh, you know, developed our, our purpose and um, uh, evolved away from the mission statement stuff. Vision statements usually can be great, great, great stuff, but you know, those mission statements seem to get lost. And so this is what it ends up uh, you know, looking like. So we've got culture at the top, our core values right at the top, then we go to our purpose. That next layer uh, in gray right there, um, those, those are the directions. This is all the stuff that we're gonna do and the stuff that we're not gonna do. Because what I found is like, as we're hiring uh, and growing and we're hiring these awesome people, what awesome people wanna do? I wanna make awesome changes, right? So, okay, great, we're going uh, you know, in this direction, but we also gotta let you know what's off limits. Like for us, it's licensing. We're not gonna license. We have all these opportunities to, to license and private label uh, you know, all the time, but that's not us. But also, it's just, we're not saying that these are forever things, right? It's just, okay, these are not us today. Like, you guys have probably all heard the quote from, uh, you know, Peter Drucker, culture eats strategy for, uh, you know, breakfast. And I always used to say, you know, Peter Drucker got it wrong, man. Like, culture and strategy got to go hand in hand. You know, if you got a great culture, but a shitty strategy, ping pong tables only go so far, right? If you got a great uh, strategy, but a shitty culture, well, guess what? You're going to read about those companies in the news. So how do they go hand in hand? But what I really saw was that, okay, once we figured out the core value things, those didn't change. The, the strategy, oh, that's continued to evolve as we find new markets, we have new opportunities, new engineering, new innovations, something over here is working. I mean, five years ago, we didn't even make any pool products. It's now a third of our business today. A third, right? Five, we weren't even talking about it six years ago, really. Like, we just kind of fell into something. And it's like, all right, well, you know, if it's working, invest behind it. So don't blindly just, uh, you know, follow the strategy because, oh, well, the strategy says this. I loved it the other day. Someone called us out for uh, some private label. Like, we're, we're doing this private label thing. And uh, he's like, that's not on the strategic plan, man. I'm like, that's awesome. Thank you for calling me out. Um, that's right. 
And uh, then I gave him the quote about Peter Drucker and all that, uh, you know, stuff. But what I, so what I think really Peter Drucker meant, uh, you know, by that, uh, you know, quote, culture eats strategy for breakfast is that, yeah, you nail the culture piece. That is a, that is a constant, right? And you keep on working that same, uh, you know, thing. The strategy, that can change and evolve. And it needs to change and evolve because the world changes and evolves. So you got to change with it. So I believe you can't have a great strategy without a uh, great culture and vice versa. All right, let's talk about culture stuff. Let's talk about core values. So for us, uh, I think we did what most people do when uh, talking about uh, core values. So we sat down with our leadership team and we talked it out. It's like, okay, you know, we're this, this, and we're, you know, we're, we're fun. We're going to be team-oriented. We're going to have profitability and, uh, you know, be a great place to work. You know, all this crap, right? And then you, you write it all down. And it, those conversations are, are tough. It's like, how do you say no to some of these, uh, you know, some of these things that people, uh, you know, throw out when you're, you know, spitballing about core values and, and, and culture? And so what ends up happening is you get crap that looks like this, right? First we put it, uh, you know, in a list, and then we're like, oh, we'll put it in a circle. Then we had the, you know, the pyramid uh, upright. Then we put it, it's like, oh, no, it's a funnel. It's all leading to profitable growth, man. Wow. You know, I was given a tour, uh, and I was talking about our core values. I told you I don't think anything uh, it changes big that until you feel some pain or you're embarrassed. Well, I'm giving this tour, and I'm reading off our core values. I'm not reading them off. I'm talking about our core values, and I'm, and I'm telling them. I'm so excited. I'm like, get to number eight, and I'm like, yeah. I couldn't remember the last three, man, right? And I think that's so true. And it's like, okay, if we as leaders can't remember our core values, <laughs> how the heck can we have any expectation that anybody else can remember them? If you can't remember them, how in the world are they even core? And so this is the part where I really wish I could help people uh, you know, more. I don't know how to go through a process of uncovering your core values other than just dig in. And it has to start at the top, man whether that's the founder, if that's the CEO, whatever it is for you guys' uh, you know, organization, it has to be uh, leadership-led. If it's not, it's, it's not going to stick. It's not going to have any uh, you know, stickiness. Well, so as we figured out, it's like, okay, just like the strategic planning uh, you know, stuff, we got to find, we got to do something different because this isn't working for us. And so it was in another uh, advisory board meeting, and I'm talking... Uh, or actually, no, this guy, Jeff Hutzel, he's talking. <laughs> and he's like, oh, you guys just find a better way to do stuff. You know, being like, cool, great. We end the, uh, the meeting. I, I you know, wake up that night. I'm like, holy crap. He just gave us our first core value, find a better way. Yeah, we're trying to find a better way to make a beanbag. We're trying to find a better way to do core values. We're trying to find a better way to communicate our strategic plan, put our format together for that strategic plan, how we're doing that process. That is core to us, man. That feels, that felt just so right, you know? And I wrote this thing down and I, I can't sleep and I'm just spinning. I'm like, okay, what are those other things that we talk about, but maybe we're not using that as one of our core values? Because this crap is just aspirational. You can just slap it on any, you know, any company, right? Well, we always talked about having high expectations, expecting the best of, uh, you know, ourselves. I love the way that uh, George Julius, one of my business partners, he, he says it. George says, you know, expect the best, F the rest. I'm like, yeah, all right, man. So I write down, I expect the best. And so the next morning I, I, I see Chip. I'm like, Chip, man, what do you think about these two core values? And um, he's like, yeah, I love it, man. And I, we want to do the right thing. I'm like, boom, done, right? There it was, those three 
find a better way, expect the best, and do the right thing. It just kind of happened in, in, in a flurry, but it was because we were seeking, and it was because that we knew that you know, the, the old way wasn't working uh, you know, for, for us. And so um, we had been using those three core values for everything um, ever since we really uncovered that back in, in 2012. So I get to uh, you know, talk to a, a lot of folks about uh, culture and core values, and we do culture tours at Comfort Research. And actually, I use uh, Mike Harris's uh, you know, company as one of my uh, examples, Works Cited, um, because I love his core values. He, he breaks one of my rules, but I don't give a shit, man. <laughs> it's, he does such an awesome job with it, and it's so genuine. Um, but these are, my, uh, these are my rules, right? Don't do more than three. They need to be authentic. And just don't do the crap that's the price of admission. And I'll tell you what I mean by each one of uh, those. So three, um, yeah, Mike does, does four. But again, it, it's, it's worth it, man. All of his are great because they are authentic. And they are, aren't the price of admission stuff. It is so genuine, uh, you know, to, to him uh, and that entire organization. Um, but, I mean, the human mind only has so much capacity to uh, remember stuff. And, you know, I mean, think about, you know, uh, the, the, the pieces that you remember forever, like stop, drop, and roll, you know? Vinny Vidi uh life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. These are things that like, are forever ingrained in your mind. Why is this? I'm not 100% sure, but this is the way the, you know, the mind works. And again, I'll go back to simplicity, right? The simpler you can make it. One of my favorites is this company in, in Holland, Elzinga Volkers. I don't know if you guys are familiar with this, uh, you know, with this company. They have one. That is awesome. It's just be unmistakable, right? And that's what they preach in everything that they do. How are, how are we unmistakably Alzinga Volkers? How are we being uh, unique? And uh, they've driven the entire organization that way. And I think that's just really, really awesome. Um, the next one is, uh, you know, authenticity. Like, it needs to have your fingerprints on it, right? Don't use my core values. Don't use uh, Mike's core values. Use your own. Like, Find a better way, expect the best, and do the right thing. Uh, those aren't really special, um, but they're authentic to us, right? I mean, they are who we are. We attract those type of people that have high expectations, that are looking to uh, you know, try new things and go about uh, uh, making a, a difference, doing it right. People that aren't just um, doing the right thing at work, right? Doing the right thing in, in life in general. And then that, uh, the last one is the price of admission. So what I mean by that is so a lot of companies uh, do what we did. You know, they have these, uh, you know, words listed. And so the price of admission is profitability. You're a for-profit company, I'm assuming. If you don't have profits, you're not going to be in business anymore. It doesn't need to be a core value. It's assumed, man. How about integrity? Okay, how would, well, you know, we have integrity as a core value. Really? Well, that's amazing. If you don't act with integrity, like, ain't anybody going to be around you, man. Here's another good, uh, you know, another good one, uh, 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 honesty. <laughs> if I don't have honesty listed as one of my core values, am I suggesting to anybody to not be honest? Heck no. No. If you're blind, people aren't going to be around you. Again, you won't have a business. Those are just the things that you have to do, Right? So what is it ma that makes you unique? What makes you, uh, you know, special? And so those are the, uh, you know, the, the, the three pieces. And again, I wish there was a process to uncover it, but, you know, put it through some of those, uh, you know, those filters. If you've got to go with four, like that guy over there, then fine, go with four. It's great. Do whatever you need to. If you can do it with one, even better.
All right, so just like anything in business, I believe that you can put a process around uh, 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 anything. Um, yeah, what I just said. And so we put a process around our core values. How are we going about uh, now using those core values and making sure that everybody knows uh, those core values? And, uh, you know, it's very simple. Uh, we're basically trying to recognize people that are living the core values. We're looking to reward them in some way with uh, either money or paid time off, and then we're consistently repeating those messages. And we did not do this, uh, like, it, it took some time, but now we've got some pretty good uh, rhythm. What we did in the beginning is we just started with what we call the Fab Award. And the Fab Award is all centered around finding a better way. And so we wanted to honor those people that are living that core value and doing it on a day-to-day -day basis. And I think a lot of companies, you know, they have the, uh, you know, the suggestion box. And it's like, I did not want to be the suggestion box, uh, you know, company. Where, you know, somebody, if they have the, you know, the guts to, they finally write a suggestion on, they drop it in the, the box that's locked, by the way. Like, I don't know why these suggestion boxes need to be locked. Like, don't let anybody steal the ideas. Isn't that the point? Like, steal the ideas, please, use them. But then what happens if they have the guts to put uh, something in there, they, uh, you know, they're talking to their buddy, you know, maybe a couple months later, and they're like, yeah, I told those idiots in management to, like, to do that, and they didn't do squat, and it's still a problem today, you know? I didn't want that to happen. How are you part of the implementation of the suggestion, right? And so um, with ours, what we do is we just let anybody make any suggestion uh, you know, th that they want. It then goes in front of a, a panel, just from making the suggestion, you get 25 comfy bucks. You can get T-shirts and hats and you know, coolers, all that uh, you know, good comfort research swag. And um, then uh, the highest folk getting one ends up with 2,500 bucks. We do that once per uh, you know, quarter. And then those quarterly winners can go on to the annual award for $10,000. And what we do is we do it at an all-company meeting, right? So we have multiple uh, you know, locations. So we, do, we don't just do a broadcast. It's a communication back and forth. So they have mics, uh, you know, there. They can see us on TV. We can see them on, uh, you know, TV. So we can talk, uh, you know, back and forth. And so this, uh, you know, the Fab Award winner, we now bring them up on, uh, you know, stage. And so now we've got a real-life person, Billy. Uh, Billy just had a great idea that we loved, and they're the Fab Award, uh, you, know, uh, you know, winner. Um, so now we're able to give that example and that person, um, you know, the, the, the honor and the thanks in front of the entire team. Now everybody's heard, okay, this is an example of what we mean by find a better way. This is a living, breathing, uh, you know, human that, that actually lived it. And so we take a picture with them and we, you know, do it with an oversized check, uh, like Publishers Clearinghouse style, just because <laughs> that's also part of our, uh, you know, culture is a little bit of fun and quirkiness. And then that picture goes up on the wall of Fab, which is across from the break room, which is just, I mean, it's just eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper with their picture and a description of what they've, uh, you know, of what they've done. Now, you don't need to be a winner to go up on the wall of Fab, because if you've also taken one of, uh, you know, an idea and implemented it, then you can also go up on the wall of Fab, because we wanted to be about implementation. We didn't want to be us versus them, you know, management versus employee. Oh, and managers, you can't apply for this. I mean, that's just an expectation, right? We expect that you're coming up with ideas to, to, to implement. We wanted to drive it down to the lowest levels, uh, you know, in the organization so that everybody was, uh, you know, was doing this. And so we, we did that for maybe a year. And I was like, hey, man, we got some other core values here that we could probably do this with uh, as well. And so 
we started with the Awesome Award as the, uh, the next level. And so that's around Expect the Best. And this is a peer-to-peer -peer award, right? So they have to bring somebody up on stage in front of the entire company and tell everybody, why is this person awesome, right? And that's so cool to put the, you know, the, the uh, control in their hands to be able to choose the person and um, you know, honor that uh, person. And some people are better at describing it than others, right? But at the end of the, uh, the day, uh, it's been a really cool uh, program for peers to honor peers. And usually someone will uh, you know, ask me, it's like, oh, you're giving out a week's paid vacation. Aren't like, people just going to hand it off to their best friend or it won't cross uh, you know, departments? And if, if, if it's happened, I haven't seen it. People really take it as a big responsibility and an honor to be able to honor one of their peers. And it's been a really cool program. We also do uh, local awards. So um, we have an awesome award for Grand Rapids. We have an awesome award for Tennessee. And then we have an awesome award for, for, for Utah. So we do uh, make sure that it's uh, local because it, it, you're not communicating as much uh, you know, just because of geography. So if you have multiple sites, uh, you know, always be thinking about how do you make sure that you know, sites aren't being slighted or uh, they're always being included. And that's one of the ways that, that we do it. And then the last one is the DIRT Award. And the DIRT Award is really all around uh, do, doing the right thing. And it's really doing the right thing in life. One of my favorite winners is our director of IT. Um, he just got remarried and uh, brought this uh, blended family uh, together. And about two weeks into this, uh, you know, to his new marriage, um, with uh, you know, her kiddos and his kiddos, uh, they find out that this... Um, couple is going to jail. Uh, mom uh, just had a uh, baby. She had done, uh, she was a used drug user while she was pregnant. Baby's got some challenges. They got three other kids and these kids need fostering. He thought it was, was going to be like a two-week uh, thing. It turned into a couple years. I mean, I mean, that's just, that gets me every time, man. I mean, that's just doing the right thing in life. I want to be around people like Mark Slagle that are just, you know, unselfishly taking, uh, you know, something on that, uh, um, they could have easily said no to, oh, I'm too busy, man. Oh, I just got remarried. Oh, I'm bringing this family together. No, they just, they just did it, and that's cool. So, uh, you know, I mean, basically, with those three, and the, th the three really work because now every quarter we're able to go through all three. So each month at an all-company meeting, we're bringing up, uh, you know, one of the core values. We're focusing on one of the core values. We're t bringing a real-life person that is, was living one of those core values up on stage, sharing it uh, you know, with everybody, and then that next uh, you know, quarter, we do it all over again. So every month, and we've got this rhythm where we're recognizing, rewarding, repeating, and doing it over and over and over again. And man, you, that flywheel, once it starts uh, you know, spinning, it, it's impossible to stop. I would take the Pepsi challenge that uh, anybody walks into uh, our building, ask anybody, I don't care who it is, if it's the, uh, you know, the janitor or the lady at the front desk or somebody in the sales department, doesn't matter. Everybody knows our core values at Comfort Research because we've just been spinning that flywheel, keep on communicating it, thanking them, honoring uh, you know, them, and it's been a really fun process. It's been an absolute blast to uh, like be able to hand out these uh, you know, the checks, and I'll tell you this much, man. The money is the least important thing that we do. It's everything else that we're doing, uh, you know, that we're continuing, that, that we're taking that picture, and their you know, face goes up on the wall, and we're thanking them, and we're thanking them in front of everybody. That's the important stuff. You, like, you can do all of this with zero funds. It just takes a little bit of uh, time, a little bit of effort, uh, you know, paying attention to it and doing it consistently. And don't you dare start it and then stop it. 
you'll do more damage than you will, uh, you know, good. You know, build on it. Start slowly. It doesn't matter, you know, but be consistent in making sure that you're honoring, the, you know, those, those folks. I'll share with you a, little, uh, a couple other, uh, you know, uh, fun stuff uh, here. You know, just like anything in business, you should uh, be able to try to measure it. And so the way that we go about measuring our culture is using NPS scores. And actually, I heard that there's now an ENPS, which is basically how we've been using culture, are the NPS scores. And basically, you're just asking everybody to give you a, a score of 1 to 10. Nines and 10s are um, promoters. Sevens and eights are neutrals, and one through sixes are detractors. Now I have a number of, uh, that I can track over uh, you know, time, and we want to see that number continue to steadily you know, rise. If it takes a blip down, now we can dig into it. So I'm a big hater of uh, surveys. Uh, I think that employee surveys, uh, everybody hates them, right? The employees hate them. The people administrating them hate them. They're long. They're complex. You know, then pulling all the data together it takes you know, forever. So we just ha- ask three questions. What should we start doing? What should we stop doing? What should we keep doing? And uh, you know that was stolen from I don't know one of the books uh, you know that we read, um, and it's just a great way to get some quick uh, you know feedback. This way we can do it every uh, you know six months. We tie that in with uh, you know the score to see oh it's falling. Uh, what happened? Oh okay, I'm seeing a common theme here. We need to address that. Uh, and it's just been a, a very cool way to do that. I also do uh, you know, what I call the listening tour. So once a month, I uh, sit down with 12 uh, you know, folks from the floor, ask the same questions. What should we start doing? What should we stop doing? And what should we keep doing? I was given this great piece of advice um, uh, a long time ago, was when somebody's offering up advice, just say thanks, right? Well, when I was first doing these uh, listening tours, People were, you know, giving advice. They're saying, hey, this sucks and that sucks and you guys should do this differently. And, you know, I just told them I'm here for a listening tour. I'm here to listen. And, you know, immediately I, you know, go into, well, you know, we can't do that. We tried that, you know, before, you know, you know, whatever. It just sounded like bullshit. It sounded like excuses. I was no longer listening, right? And the listening tour sucked. They were, they were awful. I, didn't, I don't think they accomplished what they were supposed to uh, you know, accomplish. I, I heard a lot of feedback, but I was just fighting against it, right? And so then one day I'm like, you know what? Why not use that piece of advice I was given? When people are like, they're giving me advice. I don't have to do any of this, right? But just say thanks. And so I started doing that. Just said thanks to those uh, folks that were giving me the, you know, the feedback. And what happened was is like, they were still, you know, bitch passes in the beginning, and for the first hour, it was always that way, because it's sit-down, 90-minute, you know, meeting, and, uh, you know, we're having uh, lunch, and still, they're bringing up, you know, just hammering me with, uh, you know, complaints. Um, Guys, we want to be a great place to work, but, I mean, not everything's perfect, right? I mean, we continue to screw things up and, um, you know, get it wrong, and, you know, sometimes mistreat people, uh, but we ask for forgiveness, but what has happened with that listening tour specifically is as soon as I just started saying thanks, somewhere around the hour mark, maybe hour 10, every single one, exactly the same. Oh, and by the way, this is the greatest place I've ever worked. I can go down the street, I can get more money, uh, but I would never leave here because this is my family. This is a, has an awesome culture. This is, you know, they just go on and on, man. I'm like, wow, it was amazing. So if you're, uh, you know, out there and looking to, uh, you know, get feedback from your team, from your employees, your ambassadors, whatever you guys, uh, you know, call them, when they're giving you that feedback, just say thanks. Again, you're in control. You don't have to do anything that they say, but you know, they need to be you know, recognized and, and listen. And I'm not talking about freaking lip service, guys, okay? I'm not like thanks and uh, you know, screw you. 
because people will see through that too, right? So if you are actually taking action with some of, uh, you know, with some of this stuff, it, can't, it doesn't have to be all of it, right? But do listen, say thanks, and you, you may make sure that you're given, uh, uh, taking some action on some of that advice that they're giving you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be wrapping it up here uh, you know, in a second, but I wanted to share with you guys a couple other fun things that we've done over the years. This is uh, four interns that sent a beanbag uh, into space back in 2017. We did the world's largest beanbag. Um, it is a Guinness World Record. And we also had an art prize uh, you know, entry that uh, we cut and made all in uh, you know, our factory. It was a sculpture I did uh, probably about 20 years ago, and then we... 3D scanned it and uh, you know cut it out of uh, EPS, CNC'd it out and made it eight feet tall. It was awesome, and of course uh, you know we like to you know we like to celebrate. Uh, actually, around this uh, time, I was uh, ha- had an interview done, and they were asking me about the beanbag in space and the world's largest beanbag and the art prize uh, you know entry. And this interviewer was you know very nice, nicey nice, and you know asking me about all this stuff. And then she kind of turns on me and she's like. Don't you think this is a terrible waste of resources and time and money to be able to, you know, do this stuff? I mean, why even bother sending a, a beanbag into space? I'm like, lady, you just don't get it. We have an opportunity. I mean, how many interns are able to go back to their college and say, I sent a beanbag into space? <laughs> how many people are uh, able to say, I'm part of a Guinness World Record? How many people are able to say, you know what? I was an art prize. I was listed as an artist in art prize. I mean, that's awesome. We spend half of our waking hours at, uh, you know, at work, if not more, also thinking about work. We have an opportunity uh, as an employer to give people like, some great experiences, and they don't have to relate to anything, right? How do you give people unique, fun experiences? Um, it just takes a little bit of time, a little bit of effort, and uh, paying attention uh, to it to be able to do that. And that's, that's why we do those things. Um, we want people to really have a fulfilled life, and part of that fulfilled life is... Um, having cool experiences at, at work, beyond just regular work stuff, right? So uh, this was celebration uh, at, uh, in Utah, uh, the grand opening. We wanted to make sure that it wasn't just Chip and I flying in and doing the ribbon cutting uh, that day. All the people that uh, you know, did the actual work to open up uh, you know, that plant, we wanted them cutting that ribbon, and that's, that's those, uh, those, those folks there. And, of course, we uh, you know, did our 20th uh, celebration, 20th anniversary celebration and we uh, brought in Verve Pipe uh, to the Vegas and Christmas time we go around with Santa and we thank uh, you know thank everybody uh, we also uh, do the ugly Christmas sweater party um, Halloween is a is a big one for us and and the last piece is uh, Big Joe Cares so our purpose is comfort for all and when we talk about comfort for all one of those elements one of the four elements in comfort for all is comfort for our community so we always want to make sure that we're giving back in uh, you know big and small ways and I'm not just talking about stroking checks um, yes, we do that, but also how do we spend our time with those, uh, you know, charities that are doing good? How are we promoting them so that, you know, that check can go, be a little bit bigger and broader? All of a sudden, you know, people become aware of these, uh, you know, these charities that are doing so much good. So that's a big part of, uh, you know, our purpose as well. So I'll leave you with this. You know, the, the, the culture thing uh, has been one of the most valuable tools I've ever had in my career. It's been one of the most rewarding things in my career. I did not set out to try to create a company with great culture. We're just making a beanbag, man, and trying to like mess things up and have, have some fun, right? But uncovering this whole thing with, uh, you know, with culture and being able to guide and align our folks you know, through it um, so that they are empowered to 
to do the awesome stuff that they can do has been the best part of uh, you know, my career, the most rewarding part of my career. And I think that if you guys can just take maybe you know, one or two pieces and go back, take some action on it at uh, your own organizations, you'll see and feel the same thing. So uh, best of luck on your guys' uh, journey. Um, and if I can be a, a resource to anybody, anytime, my email's matt at comfortresearch.com. Uh, I'm easy to find. And uh, yeah, awesome. Best of luck, guys.